of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Paul, today we are starting with a listener question from Budapest. Budapest. How cool is that? Yeah, Our enormous international fan base. It just keeps growing, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, if that were only true. <laughs> Although it would actually be kind of alarming. Actually, he's a friend of yours. Yeah, he is. But he asks about your nemesis. Don't tell me he asks about minerality. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Minerality. Takes stones to ash, oh, doesn't it? No, no, puns. no puns. No puns. No, right? no, we don't do those sorts of things. All right. <laughs> also today we uh, we have listeners ask about wine scores, old wine, what to do in a tasting room. Enjoy yourself. Taste wine. Relax. Those are the key elements. Yeah, those are. Our horrible wine writing today could be for Fruit Loops. And as usual, we're going to make fun of wine snobs, Paul. Okay. Are we going to get Captain Crunch in as well? Yeah. Well, he's a bit of a wine snob, so he's not coming. <laughs> uh, and by the way, a couple of reminders, and uh, we are still on the Capital Public Radio podcast lineup. Yes, amidst distinguished company. We are amidst a full-on big-deal NPR company like Fresh Air and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Um, NPR has not come crashing down to the ground yet, but Capital Public Radio... <laughs> Should know better. But nonetheless, there we are. And also, and uh, for anyone out there who wants to come and say hi or ask us questions or heckle us, we are going to be at Four Fires in Plymouth in Amador County Fairgrounds on March, May 6th. That is a very cool food and wine festival. It is. Um, come see us. And there's a link on our website with more information. Uh, you'd have a good time even if we weren't there. Even if even if you don't listen to us. Or yeah. maybe even better if yeah, you don't listen to us. Yeah, maybe what you should us. do is just show up and don't even come to our show, but just you know, <laughs> wander around and drink wine. That's right. Um, but in any case, we will be there and we'd love to see you. All right. So, Paul, here's our loyal listener, David Hummeyer, your friend from Budapest, Hungary. Yeah. Let me read you what he wrote. Okay. What did he say? Dear Rick and Paul, I'm going to read this part carefully. Love the show. And your attitudes towards wine. Wait, could you read that again, Rick? I didn't get that the uh, first time. Dear Rick and Paul, love the show. <laughs> this David is a man with taste. Excellent. All right, so here's, here's him. My question is the following. I had a wine tasting with my friends in my apartment. A few of my friends asked me to spellbind them with something I'm really into. They meant wine by something I hoped. We like David. Uh, so I showed them a dry format from Tokai Hungry. Delicious wine. We do. We, that's a great wine. And um, it comes in lots of different styles. So dry actually means something. And Paul, you were you were in that region just last year, if I remember. Yes. Absolutely amazing. Um, stayed in a basically a, a palace owned by one of the local lords of nobility uh, that runs it as a hotel now uh, with a winery in place. Uh, every, every house... In the Tokai region of Hungary has cellars underneath them, and some of them go on for miles. One, one uh, winery gave us a map of their cellars, and there were all these, all these branches going off to the side. We said, what's down there? They say, we don't know. Ah. There's no lights. We've never gone down there. They cool. go on for miles. Oh, wow. Um, but ancient, ancient traditions there, fabulous wines, great food, wonderful place. Wonderful place. And so uh, so David's question, he, we're going to continue on. He says, my friends are studying economy marketing, economy and marketing. So they asked me, what is the competitive advantage of this format? They mean, why is it unique? Eventually, I told them, you're going to love this part, Paul, because of its minerality. Oh, David, David, David. This is David again. They were just curiously staring at me, looking for the explanation of minerality. As well they should have, <laughs> David. So David writes, how do you explain minerality in this kind of situation? I didn't want to crush the night by going into details. Sorry for my English. Big smile. David, big fan. 
Well, first of all, David, your English is better than ours, so I'm all in favor of that one. Yeah, and also, David, big props to you for doing the right thing and being aware that you didn't want to tr- crush the night, quote-unquote, by right. turning it to wine smoke. That's right. So many wine snobby people yes look that's like that's like green light to be an idiot that's right Ooh, you want me to talk about the wine let me uh, sit down everybody sit down everybody now now, no talking over there i'm I'm about to say something important i'm putting on my escot and my smoking jacket you just sit there and listen so so this guy is cool how is he friends with you paul i have no idea you know (laughs) clearly he has low standards in at least one area all right so paul what would you say to him to answer his question so about how I'm, I'm going to I'm going to get back to something that because you asked me when we first started doing this, you said, so you were the, just there. What is the region like? And I'm going to say, if I'm David, instead of explaining minerality, which, first of all, doesn't exist, and second of all, is one of those terms that nobody understands. Right. A, a reminder, it, what does it mean, right? Nobody Miner- knows. Nothing, right. Nobody, nobody knows. knows right? All the scientific studies have said, even the people who use it can't agree on what it means. Well, let me go sideways just for a second on that, because as long as you bring it up, remember, we, we brought up this study uh, not so long ago. It was these, they had groups in New Zealand and France, two different yes. groups of wine critics, yep. uh, and, uh, and taste the same wines. And in the same percentage, both countries, they said they identified minerality in the wine. But there was absolutely no agreement of what they were talking about. It right. was completely across the board. That's there right. weren't even two people that said close to the same thing. That's right. So out That's of, right. you know, and if I remember, there was about, it was about 100 people total. Huh. 50 of them found minerality and 50 different descriptions. <laughs> so, David, you're going about it all wrong when you talk about the minerality. What you should have done is told the story of the wine of Tokai, the, this ferment grave, how Maria Teresa was, it was the, it's called the King of Wine and the Wine of Kings. When Marie Antoinette came to France, she insisted upon bringing wines from this region because those French wines were trash compared to her beautiful old Tokais. Those are the kind of stories you tell. And, and worry about the minerality later. Worry about the minerality when everybody's had way too much to drink. They're all sitting around like zombies anyway. And one of the other guys puts on an ascot and starts lecturing somebody about <laughs> clever chess moves of the 18th century. Ah. That's when you pull out oh, your minerality Oh, that's our next show, speech. by the way. <laughs> I bet it's not. <laughs> well, and the other thing here too, um, David, is there's actually you know I think what you want if you want to talk about the competitive advantage is that the dry ferment is relatively new, and yeah. and and so rather than just talking about the minerality, say this is this is a wine that has a great following, and now it's all of the characteristics, but in a much drier form, and so it's just it's a whole different thing. Now it's something yeah. new. That's, but it's again, to me, to me, to selling wine, t- talking about wine, explaining wine, spend less time talking about the descriptions and tell more, more time. You know, wine is produced in a region not because of raindrops and rocks, not because of those... T- those elements. Wine is made in a certain region because that's the way that people grew up. That's the culture they grew up. They made that kind of a cathedral in town. They make those kind of houses. We make this kind of wine. 
And yeah, it, it's partly because of that's the material they have to work with, but it's also the way they think and the way they feel. So that's the story he yeah. should tell. How do you think, how do you feel about this wine? Warren Winiarski has that great line. He says, when you're making wine, the question you should always ask is, what experience in the soul are you trying to create with this wine? Oh, that's nice. If he can answer that question, they're not going to worry about minerality. Yeah, and Warren Winiarski, uh, for folks who don't recognize the name, is a great winemaker from Napa Valley. It was his red wine that won the red in the Taste Dip uh, Judgment of Paris. The famous Paris, Paris yeah, tasting the, of 76. So yep. uh, it is. And it, uh, the other thing is this, and, um, and I don't mean to be dismissive, but I don't think the actual notion of minerality is ever a competitive advantage no. at any level. It's just no. not a thing. No. But what it is is the taste of the wine itself can set it aside, set yeah. it apart. I, I so, imagine yeah. some wine salesman at some point or another saying, you want minerality? Pulling out a fistful of rocks. I got your minerality mm. right here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in any case, uh, David, the fact that they asked you to try it and you showed them uh, an interesting wine, um, you know, that's that's kind of how wine sales really get made. You know, it really is. Sure. It's that. So. Yep. Um, good for, and good for you for um, for understanding not to become the wine snob, and uh, <laughs> and we we uh, and now I think I understand why you're you became Paul's friend. You are charitable. All right, <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to Paul talk with Rick and Paul. It is time to take other questions from listeners. If you'd like to ask us a question, uh, we will call you nice things like we did with David, and uh, you can do that on our website if you aren't there at rickandpaulwine.com. All right, this is from Samiko in San Francisco. She mm-hmm, emailed. Mm-hmm. She said, what do wine scores really tell me? Sometimes the same wine gets really different scores. And why do the prices vary so greatly on wines with the same score? Well, that's a great question. That is a great question. Yes, it is. And so the answer is, first of all, the score is only one, in most cases, one person's opinion. And people disagree. Some people loved one movie and some people hated one movie. And so one would have given it five stars or 95 points and one would have given it two stars. And that's the way it is with wine. Ironically, what happens in the store, not surprisingly, is they always pick the highest score. Oh, yeah. So you you got one guy who gave it 98, one guy who gave it 93, woman who gave it 89, and woman who gave it 76. It's the 98-point score that's going to go up on on the store shelf, not the 76. So it turns out all of these wines are fabulous. But unless you know who gave them the score, it doesn't really mean much. And no, there is no relationship between price and wine points. There are very expensive wines that sometimes get very low scores. And they're still expensive. And there are some very inexpensive wines that sometimes get very high scores. What you can say is um, sort of the the smaller winery, high score wines that they get them from from the right people um, can drive that price up of that particular wine. Um, But, you know, it's also that this the wines, whatever they are, whether it's a Sauvignon Blanc or a Chardonnay or a Cabernet or a Pinot Noir, they sort of live within their own world in terms of price um, based on what the wine is, based on who the winery is, based on the region, based on the marketability, based on all those things, sometimes based on what the winery just decides it can charge. And so 
the, you know, it it could be a less expensive wine. They got a ninety. It isn't suddenly going to raise the price fifty bucks, right? You know, and same thing right. as if it's a a very expensive wine that got a low score. It's not going to drop at fifty bucks because they're just not yeah. going to tell you about the score. And, and the other thing is, there are so many good wines in the market right now. I mean, really, quite amazing. I mean, the last time I saw some figures on when one of the big wine critics, Robert Parker, tasted through wines in the Napa Valley, he gave something like a hundred and sixty wines scores of 96 points or higher. Now, I mean, 96 far, points? 96 no. points. I mean, those are pretty high scores. So there's an awful lot of good wine out there. Um, if you find somebody that you tend to agree with all the right. time. If, That's the answer. Then listen to their scores. Otherwise, right. the scores don't tell you near as much as, you, as you'd like. Yeah. There that, are people who give wines really high scores. And when I see those high scores, I immediately decide I'm going to drink something else because I don't agree with those people in terms of what they like in wine. And right. that's the way it works. That is really about the best and uh, in some ways only useful way of, of uh, scores because – their palates are are each their own, and their styles they like are each their own. So if you find somebody you like or somebody you know you you disagree with, right? They, that becomes useful. Yeah, and that's how you yeah. you sort of use those scores. Yeah. It's, very, it's well, much more difficult. I find I disagree with you a lot, Rick, and that's yes. very useful. And yet, and yet, you still give me ninety two points <laughs> out of one hundred and eighty. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I'm over fifty percent. All right, this is from Jonathan and Lodi. What's gravity flow? I mean, uh, part of it is obvious, but why does it matter? I was on a tour at Winery Name Removes, so we don't get sued. And they talked about it like they invented time travel. What a great <laughs> – not, not only what a great question, but what a great uh, uh, expression, time travel. Yes. Because the oldest wineries on the planet were all gravity flow. Gravity flow simply means you design the winery in such a way that you don't need pumps. So yeah, imagine a four-story building. You start by unloading the grapes in the top floor, and instead of having to pump them from one place to the other, you just open a valve and the grapes just fall through to the next floor, ferment. When they're done fermenting, open another valve. They drop down into barrels. and So it's all done with gravity and no pumps. The theory is that pumps can, and you're going to love this word, Rick, they can bruise the wine. Ow! Yeah, exactly. And they um, leave little black and blue marks. If, the wine, right. if it's dark, right. it's already black you and blue. Really, you really yeah. don't want that in a white wine. No, black no. And blue marks. patches <laughs> of black and blue make you look like something's wrong. Yeah. But it's funny that he says that this is mentioned a a winery that thinks they invented time travel because if you go back 8,000 years ago, you can find chunks of stone uh, in a hillside in the right. Soviet, ex-Soviet Republic of Georgia, well, and it's a gravity flow winery. Heck, you find it in, in Napa Valley, you sure. know, around the hillsides. And that's where people used sure. to build wines, used to b- yep. build wines in the hills and win- wineries in the hills so that yep. they could use gravity flow. So they could use the hillside. Yeah, and, yep. and it is the theory. It's, I like it. I don't know that it's real, that the more gently you move the bits of your wine from one container to the next, the less you'll, you'll affect it. You know, I mean, in some ways, you think about I, – I always use the analogy, which is only partially true, of making a sauce. Uh-huh. You know, and sometimes, depending on what you're doing and what kind of sauce it is, you really do have to be a little careful how much you stir it. And, sure. You know, and so, yeah. it, you know, it's – yeah. And there are some grapes that um, actually need a little more oxygen. There are some right. grapes that you really try to protect from oxygen. Oxygen. Of course, pumps are an area where you can introduce a little oxygen into the wine if you're not careful. So, yeah. Is it a good idea in most cases? Is it revolutionary? Um, well, not, not even really possibly and, revolutionary. And wineries that aren't gravity flow doesn't mean that they're making bad wine. Still anyway. make great wine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, however, are gravity flow. 
Yes, and we are, everything rolls we are, downhill. We are well. We are just heading downhill <laughs> constantly, uh, and we, we're going to have more questions. Uh, but first, before we do that, it's time for some really horrible wine writing. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Ah, that's a gravity flow music right there. Just makes my bottom move or something. <laughs> I don't, don't want to hear about no, that. No, never mind. I never mind. really yes. don't want to hear about that. I, can I take that back? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul. Uh, okay. You have a good one. Oh, yeah, I do. Yes. This crisp yet aromatic expression of the Central Coast shows generous flavors of wildflowers and apple. Yeah, and? and That's it. That's it? That's it. We're so it's shorted, crisp and it? aromatic. Yep. It's um, an expression of the Central Coast, which I have no idea what that means. It shows generous flavors of wildflowers. I haven't eaten that many wildflowers, but I'm guessing that wildflowers, different wildflowers taste differently. I would think that the poppies might be a little different from the whatever other wildflowers are out there. Exactly right. Exactly right. The Indian paintbrush, for example. So I have no idea what uh, generous flavors of wildflowers means. And then to top it all off, he throws in apple. Well, yeah. Well, generous flavors of apples. Apples are generous. You know what I always like? I've never seen ungenerous flavors. I'm well, ge- the ungenerous ones stay at home. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah, they, they don't, don't tip they, well. They don't get out the, well. Those, they don't, they those, don't tip. Those, that's those, right. Yes, those are really <laughs> bad flavors. All right. Okay, you got a different one, though. I got one. Well, this is the other end of the scale. This, is, this has a marvelous, captivating bouquet of soft nectarine, fleshy white peach, green pear. <laughs> slate. Paul's laughing because he's looking at this, and this is just getting started. <laughs> this is marvelous, captivating bouquet of soft nectarine, fleshy white peach, green pear, slate, coriander, and spicy ginger. That's the bouquet. The palate shows the bright, zesty acidity and citrus and floral flavors that you'd expect from the variety, particularly notes of green apple, red pear, yellow raspberry, jalapeno, and white pepper. The finish is refreshing, crisp, and clean, making this ideal to sip as an aperitif or to pair with shellfish or seafood dishes. Okay, so there's whole, a whole bunch of things, but the, my first thing is I thought he was going to eat lemon yellow and orange orange. You know, it was, it was, he's got all these colors well, in there. Well, I, lo- I love the fact that it's a bouquet of soft nectarine and fleshy yes. white peach. Yes, Because, you know, a skinny white peach doesn't smell anything like that. Yes. And a hard nectarine as opposed to a soft nectarine? Yes. The bouquet of slate. The bouquet slate. Well, the other yeah. part is he says— It's a bouquet, which he, is this actually is, an This is cool. Bottle. The palate shows the bright, zesty, citrus, citrus and floral flavors you'd expect. Green apple, red pear, yellow raspberry, jalapeno, and white pepper. It turns out none of them are citrus— Or floral. Or floral, yes. which are what you might expect. Yes. I also like shellfish or seafood because <laughs> isn't shellfish seafood? Well, it depends. Yeah, I think if you eat escargot, that's a shell, but it's not a fish. It's not a fish. You're right. Yes. You're right. Shellfish yes. is seafood. But, you know, and it is that thing of, and I also, I need to... you got to talk about yellow raspberry yes, spray. Yes, because we've had this before, and as a food writer, <laughs> I've always known that all color raspberries taste the same. Right. The only difference is in their texture. It has nothing to do with what you would get out of a bottle of wine. Right. Right. But this is a, this guy clearly wanted to go for um, for, for colors. So it's... Marvelous, so, captivating So, so Paul, what, would you, what wine would you think this is? I'm going to guess, let's see, with zesty acidity... Wow, um, I, I'm thinking he's oh, and and raspberry. Uh, I'm going for Viognier, uh, another Pinot Grigio. Pinot Grigio, and it makes me think that's why he decided to make it yellow raspberry. 
Right. Because he's got a white wine. Well, he has red pear in there. Well, that's true. But pear is still considered sort of a white fruit. Inside it is. Yeah. In uh, its heart, it's white. It's just that laundry list thing. You know, dear God. Well, and, yeah. You know, anytime, if, if, you'd expect, if you expect citrus and floral, then particular notes of apple, pear, and raspberry are not citrus or floral. Somebody wasn't paying attention. Well, I like them particularly. Particularly. Right? <laughs> the citrus and floral flavors, particularly green apple, pear, <laughs> <laughs> Which floral? Which citrus? Come on, help me out here. All right. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Well, that was a uh, that one flowed downhill too, didn't it? <laughs> All right. So we are uh, we're about to get a couple more questions here. Uh, a reminder: come and ask us one, and uh, we will we will bungle the answer as we do with everything. This is from uh, Kieran in Culver City. I need to uh, point out that's my niece. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. And my awesome niece. Cool. Um, and uh, she says, how do you know if an older bottle of wine is, is – a, a supposed good wine is still good after a few years? And do you decant it? And then, then she has a separate question, uh, which well, is how long – she's just full sh- of questions, she isn't she? Well, she's allowed because okay. she's cool. How long should you decant a wine? We mm-hmm. have a bottle of red wine that we let decant for 24 hours. Uh, and it took that long for it to taste good, but it did really taste good. Is that usual? So let's start with the first one, uh, okay. which is an, an how how do you know about an older bottle of good wine if it's any good after it's been old for a while? And the answer is you really don't. Well, actually, you do. And it's the same way that you know whether any bottle of wine is which good, is, which is you open it up and drink it. Yeah. And if it's good, it's good. And if it's not good, then you open it up and you drink it and you say, oh, I'm going to save this bottle for when Uncle Rick comes. <laughs> well, see, I was going to say what you do is you hold the bottle up to the light and you, you look for the, if there's secret letters that form. Why. No, there's no. <laughs> Alphabet um, soup. Yes. But the thing about decanting uh, older wine is it's actually a very different kind of decanting that what you talked than about. Than you do in for a younger wine. Because you really don't. An older wine is going to lose. Its flavors are going to drift off. Remember, well, like, smell is a big part of yeah. a taste. And unlike the, people. Yes. That they, older people, the aromas don't just disappear. <laughs> okay. All right. It's just a whole direction that we, we should not go. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. But you, you speaking of, of okay, yes, so going you downhill decant, fast. You but, decant younger wines to aerate them to allow the aromatics to flow into the air to develop and, and with, fill your with nose oxygen, with aromas right? of the classic citrus and floral flavors yes, such yes. as pears, apples and but raspberries. For, but older wines are actually going to they're going to their, their flavors will dissipate. So, but what you do decant it is you pour it to be and you know the old classic is to hold a candle behind it now you can use your cell phone light right. as, and just pour it from the bottle into a decanter or just another container um, and to so to, to not to, get the sediment. To pour it off the sediment. Pour off the sediment. Right. Yes. So you leave the sediment in the bottle. Everything else goes in the decanter. But then traditionally those you drink right away because right. you've already aerated it by pouring it into that decanter and drink now. Yeah, drink now. Absolutely. Yep. And if it's if it's a really old wine, you may get 20 minutes out of it. I've had yeah. – I've had Depends. I've had description. I was you, at a tasting where it's really very beautiful wine that was about 50 years old. Yeah. It started great, and 20 minutes later, it was almost gone. That's what they say about you, Rick. Uh, they, no, they say I'm completely gone. <laughs> 20 uh, minutes. Yeah. That's all you get. Yeah. Um, um, but so then the she second go- question yeah, is— Yeah, then she goes on to some other stuff. That's a good question because it, it's going to totally depend on the bottle. Well, and in fact, there was a very, very um, cool survey they did a few years ago at one of the local magazines where they took four bottles of wine and they decanted them in different in different stages. So mm-hmm. some had been decanted a long time, some not at all. And they brought in a bunch of wine experts to see if they could tell the difference. And the answer was the experts could all tell the difference between the four wines and they all disagreed about which one they liked best. 
Ah, yes, there you go. So it ultimately gets well, down to what you like. Isn't that, isn't that always the case? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it does change. And um, really the bigger and, and quote-unquote tighter the wine feels, if it's a right. big wine and it feels like it's all kind of – all together, and and you know the, that's a wine that probably needs a bit more time to can. Now, w- one trick too is often um, big red wines, if they're cold, mm. will Good not point. be as generous. Uh, and so if you actually just let them warm up a little. So her story about letting the wine open up, I, I, she did the right thing. Mm-hmm. She opened a bottle of wine, didn't taste great. I hope she opened something else and let this one sit for 24 hours and see if it got no, better. No, no, my niece and nephew. And oh, it did get better. And <laughs> yeah. kudos to them. Yeah. So that's what you do. And- and by but the way, you kind of need to learn as you go along. Yeah. Another thing, too, is lots of folks open a bottle to let it breathe. There's not much breathing that's going to go on. It's a little tiny hole. Right. It takes a long time for that. I, I, I suspect they did more than just open the bottle. Yep. Uh, but uh, that's yep. the case. All right. Uh, one more. This is from Sheldon in San Luis Obispo. Oh, it's wine Sheldon, country. Sheldon, Sheldon. He says that. I live in wine country, yep. and my friends always want to come visit and have me take them wine tasting. I'm just a broke college student. I don't know much about wine. So do you have any tips for how to show my friends around? And also, when we go wine tasting, what can I say in a tasting room so I won't sound like a dummy? Well, the second part is really easy, Sheldon. Don't worry about it. Okay. Just enjoy yourself. Have fun. You don't – the idea – you're not going to a tasting room to not sound like a dummy. And you can tell your friends, you know, I don't don't know much about wine. That is no no knock against you. But he is a student, a college student at San Luis Obispo. San Luis Obispo has a wine program. That's true. But we don't don't want to have to take a whole class before his friends show up. No, 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 no. But what he should do is if any of his friends are in the wine program, ask them Ah. if they'd recommend a winery or two that might be good. Because it always helps to walk in the door and say, unless it's Rick Cushman, my friend Rick recommended me. Yeah, no, no I, I tell people not to do that. They no, get tossed. No, no, they get I've seen it happen. Right out on their ear. Yeah, it's really, it's but really kind of sad. But if they've already got a connection, and if not, what I would suggest is I'd suggest that Sheldon go out to a couple of wineries a few days before his friends arrive. Walk in and say, hey, I'm supposed to know something. I don't know anything, but I'm going to bring some friends here in a couple of days. What should I tell them about this winery? Because this is one of the wineries I'm interested in visiting. And the tasting room staff will tell him everything he needs to know. And the next a few days later, he'll bring his friends in the door and say, you know, it's kind of a cool story about this winery. And he tells them the story and his friends will think he's a genius. Yeah. Or you can even just look and see if it looks like fun. There's that too. True. Yeah. He yep. has a view, a place, you know. Um, yep. But uh, that's a really good idea. Being where you are is just ask around, get a couple of recommendations. Get a couple of yeah, yeah. yeah. That personal connection is always the best. They have this thing called Yelp. I don't know if it's useful at all. But <laughs> actually what I use Yelp for often for things like this is lots of people take pictures. Right. So then you can get some, you know, real people's right. bad pictures that could actually show you what the place is like. The good, the good yeah. professional pictures make every place look like heaven. Right. So, um, yeah. you know, it's uh, those those are things to do. Um, and but 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 the the second half of it is it's okay not to know. It's totally okay, Sheldon, not to be a wine expert right. and still go wine tasting. That's right. And, Although his friends are expecting him to know something because he's in wine country. So here's a perfect opportunity to go out. Go visit a couple of wineries. At least when he shows up the next time, it won't be the first time ever. And he'll kind of have a sense of how the yeah. what the lay of the land is. Well, I have a slightly different take only, Sheldon, because I'm used to disappointing my friends. So I <laughs> figured, why should this be any different? Okay. okay. All right. Speaking of disappointing, 
That's another round of Bottle Talk. <laughs> Heading downhill. <laughs> That's right. Our, our, our patient producer is Matt Bassini. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and their patience in putting us on their podcast lineup. Yes. Is that a Gravity Flow podcast it is. lineup? It is. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're, we're working our way to the bottom. We are way at the bottom, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and come ask us a question and come see us at Amador Four Fires in Plymouth on May 6th. If you've learned anything today, we hope it's unlikely as it may seem. Even Paul <laughs> can make friends. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. <laughs> Remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us and Paul's friends. <laughs>